So now in our overview of the great story of Scripture, we've come to Moses. And uh, as you already know, I want to focus in a particular way. I mean, Moses is the giant of the Old Testament. How do you talk about Moses on one Sunday? But I want us to think in a particular way this morning about this uh, instance of the giving of the Ten Commandments. And uh, to ask you to think with me about your own understanding and attitude toward the Ten Commandments. I mean, what, what are your thoughts about the Ten Commandments this morning? Seriously, think. Uh, some of you would have to say uh, you're just simply ignorant of the Ten Commandments. That's, that's where I've come from, as I've, as I've mentioned to you. I just, they just, I suppose I knew they existed. I mean, I think if you go back far enough, uh, the Ten Commandment movie, that great blockbuster was with Charlton Heston, was, I think it came out sometime during my youth. But uh, I never went to it. It just wasn't part of anything, anything that I had. So uh, I, I really started from a scratch as far as the Ten Commandments. Maybe that's where you're, you are this morning. Or, or some of you w- would have to say I'm actually negative toward the Ten Commandments. I don't like them. Uh, I think if somehow we'd get rid of them and get rid of the, the memory of them, we'd be much better off in our society. We could go on and really enjoy a society of love and tolerance. Or perhaps you're saying, well, you know, okay, I know they exist. I kind of grew up. I learned them when I was a kid, but uh, I don't think much about them. And to be honest, I'm really into Jesus, uh, not the Ten Commandments. So I don't know you know why you're talking about them. Well, anyway, we have these various reactions, and I have one fundamental goal this morning that I will tell you where I want this to go. I hope And that is that you leave this place saying, thank you, Lord, for this extraordinary gift of the Ten Commandments. I had no idea. And that you leave here simply thrilled that God, in his mercy and love, gave us the commandments. Now, I'm also aware that, um, for the most part, the home groups are kind of tracking right now in the same topic, and you'll be talking about the Ten Commandments uh, this week during your home groups, and I hope you continue the conversation, and I would love to get any kind of feedback or comments. So let's start by kind of uh, picking up the story, uh, because we're really watching how this story unfolds. And if you were with us last week, uh, again, a quick introduction to uh, the man who uh, James Boyce says is the most important single individual in the Bible, next to Jesus himself, and that was Abraham. Abraham, the first Jew. Uh, God entered into a covenant with Abraham and said, Abraham, through your seed, the entire world will be blessed. So what we keep coming back to is that God's intention is, is that the whole world will be restored from this curse that has come upon it. But now we've learned it's going to come through Abraham, and his children. And the Bible is very careful about tracing then the, the line of Abraham. It goes through Isaac. Um, that was easy because he only had one, one kid. But then it sort of the, Isaac had twins, Jacob and Esau. And it's Jacob who received that blessing. Uh, Jacob, it gets really complicated because he had, these are fascinating stories. If you haven't read 
in Genesis, but he had 12 sons, many other kids, but they, were, they became the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, you learn that actually it was the tribe of Judah who would be from whom the king would come. But the whole family of Jacob moves down into Egypt. And uh, the scene reopens 400 years later. And now that uh, family has become a nation. And they are um, a real threat to the pharaoh of Egypt. And uh, so pharaoh begins to persecute the Israelites. We're into the book of Exodus now, which is the second book of the Bible. And the focus is on Moses. Now, Moses is of the tribe of Levi. He's not part of the godly line in that sense of the word. He's really the guardian of that, of that line. So um, Moses, in fact, was of the tribe of Levi, and the Levites were the, the worship leaders of Israel. If you've never made that connection, that's why we call our folks who lead worship Levites. That's very um, appropriate. And Moses uh, lived, the, the book of Exodus kind of explains him to us in three eras. The first 40 years, he grew up uh, as a son of Pharaoh, uh, knowing all about the Egyptian culture because he was there. He was one of them. But then in the second 40-year period, um, he's uh, exiled um, into the wilderness of Sinai, actually, where he raises a family and as a sheep herder and, and learns all the quiet um, ways of the desert. And toward the end of that season, he meets God at the burning bush. These are all, again, I'm sort of whipping through this, I know, but I, I, I think we would need to kind of remind ourselves. The God he meets reveals himself to Moses as the God of the covenant, um, there's various ways you pronounce this unique and special covenant name. Jehovah is the uh, old traditional way. Often you'll read it now as Yahweh. Sounds like two very different words, but it's simply two different uh, sets of vowels with the same consonants. But he is in a unique relationship to Israel. His covenant name by which he is known. And it makes a huge difference in your reading of the Old Testament. If you watch for the fact, and you won't see the word Yahweh or Jehovah appears, it comes to us as Lord in lowercase capital letters. But every time you see that word Lord, um, it is that covenant name by which God uh, met uh, with Moses and by which God said, I have made a covenant with my uh, son Abraham, and now it's time to fulfill that. And so, Moses, you are to go back. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And uh, again, that's fascinating just to follow the remarkable things that happen in the, that Exodus account as Moses leads his people out, um, the plagues upon Egypt, the Passover meal in which uh, God says, put the blood over the door, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And then following that, this extraordinary miracle of nature in which the Red Sea is parted. And if, by the way, you see the, the juxtaposition of the, the shedding of blood for the, for the passing over of judgment and then the opening up of, of nature itself as parallel to the cross and the resurrection, that's not accidental. That's exactly where that story is going. Well, as, as uh, 
Arlene just read then, if you'll come back to the passage, we're now back at Mount Sinai. But this time Moses has come in obedience to God, leading uh, all of these people with him. And they're in the, in the wilderness of Sinai. I think a summary of, what, of, of all, what all this leads to is in verse 4. Just follow as I read again, verses 4 through 6 of chapter 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. We're back at the idea of a covenant. Uh, He says, all the world is mine, and you, Israel, will be a kingdom of priests. That is, God still isn't thinking of terms of the needs of the whole world. But Israel will now be a priest. That is a channel through which God will bring his blessing to the world. But the problem is it's going to take a a while to get there. We're, We're really now about 1500 B.C., And given the sinfulness of people, how in the world are you going to last as a people from 1500 until the coming of Jesus? And so the covenant that God enters into here is a law covenant. And I think of it more as a playpen or a fence around the yard. That is, you need something to to keep the kids contained until they can grow up and be a little bit responsible. And that's really what this covenant uh, is that uh, Moses and the Lord, or Moses brings upon uh, the people. They need time to grow up. But the key thought, and this is why I really wanted to kind of spell this out and particularly remind you of the, of the Exodus. Before the Ten Commandments are given, salvation has already occurred. Get that? Now, I emphasize it just because, for me, this was a light bulb moment. And I don't know, it's still in the minds of some people that that the Ten Commandments really are irrelevant because they were given as a way of salvation, and we don't need that anymore. Well, the fact is, they were never given as a way of salvation. God saved by his grace. He honored his covenant, and he went after Egypt. And he went for his people, and he fought for them, and he destroyed the Egyptians, and he brought his people to himself, carried them on eagles' wings, it says. I love that. And now his redeemed people, and by the way, not because they particularly wanted to be. They were still babies. They were infants in the faith. They were virtually pagans. They knew more about Egyptian idolatry than this God, Jehovah, whoever he was. But nevertheless, they were there. And God said, it's time to do business. And let's talk. But these were already his people. He had no intention that they become his people if they live up to the Ten Commandments. That's never been in Scripture. Salvation in Scripture from beginning to end has always been by grace alone. 
God seeking out a desperately sinful people and, and coming to them and saving them. And this is exactly what we have here. So we come now to the, to the actual giving of the Ten Commandments. And what a spectacular, I don't want to call it theater, that sounds artificial, but what would it have been like to live in that setting where they wake up in the morning and the ground is shaking? They see this massive mountain called Sinai and it's covered with smoke. Lightning is flashing. Moses is caught up into the mountain as the people are terrified as to what's going on. God speaks to them. And then Moses comes down. I, I love this, by the way. The Lord says, warn the people not to, not to get it, come, you know, come too close. Right. Like that's one commandment they didn't have any trouble keeping, I would say. <laughs> as God reveals something of his majesty and his glory and his power. And what's also interesting is, and it's not so evident when you read Exodus, and I do hope you'll kind of reread this passage because it takes a little while to take all this in. But in fact, when God spoke the Ten Commandments, the people actually heard the voice of God speaking them. Now, this is, this is more clear when you read the account in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a fascinating book. It's actually the last words of Moses. You know, the people, uh, after God finally got fed up with the people for their, all their bickering and sin, and so he said, all right, I'm going to let this whole generation die off, and then we'll take you into the promised land. That's where the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness come from. And so Deuteronomy is really Moses' last words to a new generation, and he retells the story of the giving of the Ten Commandments. And there it's very clear that when he spoke the Ten Commandments to Moses, it was with a voice that all of the people could hear. So after the giving of the Ten Commandments, and the people are terrified, and they come to Moses and say, Moses, Moses, we've, it, it's not don't let God speak to us. It's basically we've heard enough. We believe you. God is God, and we're terrified. But it really is the sense not that we don't want to hear the voice of God, but we've heard enough. We're convinced he is the almighty God. But now look with me at the actual words that are spoken. And if you don't have your, uh, uh, the actual text of a Bible, look on page three of our uh, worship bulletin this morning. This is the actual ten as they're given. And I desperately, desperately, desperately want you to see and pay attention to those first words. Typically, we call them the preface. Actually, when our Jewish friends read the Ten Commandments in their synagogue, these words are part of the first commandment. We use them as sort of the introduction to the whole Ten Commandments. But because, um, you know, in the, in the original text, you don't have numbers, one, two, three, four, five. And so some of you who are Roman Catholic grew, who grew up with the Ten Commandments, you know, you'll be a little confused because they number them just slightly, slightly differently. But this is the same words. But how does the, how do the Ten Commandments begin? I am 
the Lord. Your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I go crazy when I see the Ten Commandments listed just as ten rules. And this left off. As though it's unimportant. What's the deal? Give me the rules. Why do we always want that? Give me the rules. And you, and you cut off the relationship. And that's the most fundamental thing of all. I am the Lord. I'm Jehovah. Notice how it's phrased. I am Jehovah. You're God. I'm the God of the covenant. I'm the God who's come to you and loved you and kept my promise to you and fought for you and destroyed the Egyptians and brought you to myself. That's who I am. You know that. Get a hold of that. Let that sink into your soul. Because what I'm going to tell you now, in ten basic concepts of life, I'm saying to you because I love you. Because I don't want you to go right back into the slavery that I brought you from. And do you understand, my friends, that if you kind of live your life the way you want to do, do your own thing, go after freedom, you're going to end up right back in the very pit from which I brought you. Maybe it'll look a little different, but you'll still be a mess. See, how, see why this is so important? Because this is out of this we say, oh, God, thank you. If I go my own way, and all of us have learned enough of life by now to know, we go our own way, we make a mess. And can we just kind of calm our hearts and listen to the God who loves us? And take his word for things. Instead of saying, no, no, I'll take care of things myself. I have to tell you a beautiful, to me it was at least, a beautiful example of this very thing that I saw here on the streets of Philadelphia a few weeks ago. As the staff knows, one of the things I particularly enjoyed about this privilege of serving you guys is that when I come into the city for a meeting or whatever, I, I love to either come early or stay late and just walk the city. It's a great place to be in the city. And I, and I remember a few weeks ago walking, I don't know where I was, down one of these lovely residential streets with the, with the uh, trees and so forth. And, and right in front of me were two moms pushing their strollers. And in addition to the babies that were in the strollers, there was this little kid running down the street ahead of them. Just being a kid. Jumping up and down, you know, flying the airplane. He'd get to the stoops and he'd run up the stairs and jump down and then he'd run. And he was getting farther and farther ahead of his mom. And I could see that not far that much farther was the, you know, the major crossroads in a big, busy street. And I got thinking, wait a minute, isn't it about time for that mom to... Say, Jimmy, Jimmy, or whatever his name was. Stop, wait, 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 wait for me to catch you. She didn't say a thing. And Jimmy just kept running down the street. And I was getting a little nervous. The old grandfather impulse in me. At least you should say something, not a word. 
Jimmy keeps running down the street, having a great old time. I was getting more nervous as I watched this little episode. And he came right up to the intersection. And he stopped dead in his tracks. No, kind of looking around, trying to get away with anything. He just stopped, period. She never said a word. But he just stopped and he waited until mom came, took his hand, and they crossed the street. Now, I don't want to make too much of it because this is only something that happened in just a, a few seconds. But I have to tell you, I was impressed because I have a feeling that that mom and probably the dad had spent a lot of time with that little Jimmy making very clear the rules of the road. Maybe they even had a few trial runs, and I suspect Jimmy had tried to get away with a few things. But in the end, Jimmy knew. And I know they gave him an explanation of why he, they, he can't walk out into the street. But the main thing was, Mom and Dad tell me I have to stop. And when they say stop, they mean stop, and they will enforce it. And Jimmy had not only gotten that in his head, but it had become now part of who he was. And it wasn't a big deal. He just came to the corner. He stopped. He waited. So Jimmy had all sorts of freedom. But it was freedom with limits because he knew the law. It has occurred to me, you know, I've realized the city really is a great place to raise kids. I'm a suburban type guy, but three of my four children have actually raised their children in the city. And we've realized what a... Some, you know, unique opportunities, but, folks, a lot of you are contemplating this or trying to do it, but if your children are out of control, this is a dangerous place to try to raise kids. But little Jimmy heard the law from his loving parents, and he was safe, and he was also free. And so I don't call those parents legalistic or oppressive or heavy-handed. I say that's a loving and wise mom that gave the law to their little child. And friends, I just simply want us to say, when you hear the commandments, hear that spirit from God. Oh, my children, my foolish children, I love you. So hear me. And I am God. I will enforce the law. You, there are consequences for breaking the law. But underneath of it all is this God of the covenant, the God of compassion. You shall have no other gods before me. It's the heart of loyalty. Don't make for yourself graven images now, he's already said, I am the Lord, worship, worship me. So this is really a commandment about don't just worship God the way you think you can, making up all sorts of idols. Worship the true God in a true way. So the second commandment deals with worship. Third commandment says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It really says, it's, it's, it's really calling us to reverence. Hallowed be your name. Remember the Sabbath day 
to keep it holy. Now, if we had a lot more time, this is one we'd particularly want to stop and talk about because as you get into the New Testament, it appears clear that Jesus has a different way of understanding that. But the fact is, underneath of it is an eternal principle. Have you guys learned yet that you cannot run 24-7? It just doesn't work. You'll crash. And God's already told you that, right? He himself rested after six days of work. He wasn't tired, but he knew what we needed. Don't look at Sabbath as a restriction. Look at it as a gift. And those last six commandments, and we talk about the two tables of the law, that served a different purpose, I think, originally. But liturgically, we've broken the commandments out into the first four dealing with our relationship with God and the second six dealing with our relationship with man, essentially how to love God and how to love your neighbor. And it's a very helpful way to, to understand that. But just think about it. Honor your father and your mother. Now, that unveils not just how you deal with things at home, but the whole issue of relationships and authority particularly and dealing with authority. And it has to be learned at home. Except for you educators out here, you people in schools, it's all your fault, you know, that these kids are such a mess that they can't learn. If you educators would do your job and you're saying... Before you lynch me, I'm just saying I'm, I'm speaking a little bit, not, not a little bit, a whole lot, sarcastically. Who are you trying to teach kids who've come from homes where they have no idea of respect for authority? And frankly, the way authority has been exercised at home, they have no good reason probably to respect it. So the commandment always has to do with what you should do as well as what you shouldn't do. They're amazing when you begin to kind of unpack each one of the commandments, whether this one or any other, to see how much there's a, just an opening up of, of, of the, the fundamental principles of living. Authority. You shall not commit adultery, the sixth commandment, which is really God's protection for the family. Yes, there's a prohibition of violating his gift of sex within marriage. But ultimately, it's also because he wants to uphold the family. Seventh commandment, or excuse me, sixth commandment is you shall not kill. I'm going to keep these in order. It, it literally is you shall not murder, by the way. It got translated, I think, in the King James, you shall not kill, and that's led to all sorts of misunderstandings. It really, it really is speaking of the, the sanctity of human life, the, the, the privilege of holding the life of our neighbor as well as our own Life. You shall not commit adultery is the seventh. The eighth, you shall not steal. Which points the way not only to the fact that you shall not steal, but you shall work. And, and the importance of honesty, hard day's work for, uh, to, to support your family. You shall not bear false witness. Don't lie in court. But the whole issue of truth in a culture, wow, that opens up vast areas of thought. And if we've left anything out, you shall not covet. 
commandment of the heart, which means not only you shall not covet, but you shall be content. You shall be thankful for what God has given you. And you know I'm just scratching the surface because, because my purpose has been to just to look at them as a whole. And most of us know decisions in life are not always easy. But if, if you sort of just simply ingest the Ten Commandments as a fundamental moral compass, most of the decisions you have to face ethically and morally will be covered by one of those commandments. And you will have, you know, there are no easy answers, we say, baloney. Most of life is easy answers. You just have to do it. That's the challenge. But there are complicated and very difficult decisions that you face. But with a fundamental moral compass of God's, God's law, these commandments, we really do have a, a, a path to walk in. And what a gift they are. Okay, so how do you react to this holding out before you this gift of the commandments? Just a couple of thoughts briefly uh, occurred to me. One is you can react the way the people in this passage do. I love this. If you look at the end or the last part of the reading, it, it really, these really, this really comes after they've heard God speak the Ten Commandments. Verse 18, Now when the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, they were afraid and trembled. And they stood afar off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. And I love this, verse 20. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you and that you may not sin. Don't be terrified of God, but do fear God. That's not just a bygone concept, the fear of the Lord. And so I would hold before you the importance of, yeah, there are times to say our God is an awesome God. He reigns in heaven above. He is the almighty God, and when he speaks... I should tremble if I dare to disobey and disregard him. But the other reaction may be something of a pushback from some of you. I suspect some of you may be getting more and more angry at me. Because you're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where does Jesus fit into this picture? I thought we're finished with all this stuff. Okay. Okay, let's listen to Jesus. And we attach to that his, his statements at the end of the reading of the Ten Commandments, and appropriately so. What did he say? I mean, he makes it simple. He doesn't have ten. He just has two. You shall love the Lord your God with what? All of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind 
That's all. And love your neighbor how? As you love yourself. How are you doing? I'm asking that as an honest question. How are you doing? But all you have to do is love God all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And by the way, that's not new to Jesus. You know that, don't you? Jesus didn't make that up. He's simply quoting the Old Testament. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength is the Shema Israel. Every time Jews come to worship, they said, The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbors yourself comes out of the law as well. It's out of Leviticus chapter 19. But if you want to sort of disregard the whole Old Testament, go to the Sermon on the Mount. And hear Jesus again, who said... You know, we read it quickly and it says, You have heard it said, but I say to you. But you don't need Greek, just read it. It says, You have heard it said, You shall not kill. Well, it's the commandment, right? But I say to you, what? If you hate someone, You've broken the law just as much as if you'd killed someone. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, and does he dismiss the seventh commandment? Or does he say to us, oh, you have no idea how how deep that commandment goes. And then to sum it all up, he says to us, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. How are you doing? Yikes. Who in the world has a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees? Only Jesus. You got it. You got it. Of all the gifts that are part of God's giving of the Ten Commandments and of his law, the greatest of all of them might be saying, You need Jesus, because you can't do it. Yes, you want to receive the law with thanksgiving and pray for a heart of obedience, but also say, I need the one whose righteousness is perfect, and it's not me. It's Jesus.